The following is a production of WGL 91.1 FM. That ball is gone. It's a walk-off home run for Stephen Williams. WGL Sports. The Tigers are headed to the College World Series. Where every touchdown of Game. They're not going to keep him off the field tonight. Holy cow. Lives. And welcome inside the extra point here on WEGL 91.1. And for wherever you may be watching or wherever where these guys are, which is pretty much just in the middle of their apartments, Jack Hart and Davis Carroll joining me on the program. Davis, we'll start with you because I pretty much dragged you out of bed, I feel like. How are you doing this morning? You're lucky I woke up before you texted me because I would not have gotten out of bed otherwise. Yeah, I, uh, luck of the draw there. I got... I got two guys in my A. I know where one's at. I don't know where the other one's at, but we'll we'll try to get them on the program. Jack, how about you? How are you doing this morning? I saw you cooking something. I see you got a, a picture of what I assume is water. How's the morning going? Hey, hey, good morning, Kanye. Um, this is my electric kettle. I'm uh, making a little bit of coffee here on my desk. So life's oh, good. A little, it's been a little dreary out the past two days because of this. Uh, it's hurricane or whatever, but uh, we're making it through. It was a little, it was a bit chilly outside yesterday. Kind of kind of caught me off guard. Yeah, uh, Hurricane Sandy hitting the Gulf Coast as we speak. Uh, Sally, what did I say? Sandy. Did I say Sandy? Yeah, uh, that's a flashback. Hurricane Sally hitting the Gulf Coast as we speak. Uh, Category two hurricane is going to slowly make its way over to us uh, in the next couple of days. So yeah. Stay dry. Uh, I kind of had a, a uh, out of body experience last night, realizing <laughs> the circumstances we're in. Wa- watching a Eastern Conference Finals game in in the kind of weather we're having is probably never gonna has never happened before or will ever happen again. So I, I soaked it in a little bit last night. Yeah, I mean the fact that what I mean we're gonna have the NBA Finals and. You know the, the, the postseason, yeah. Maybe concurrently with each other. So uh, let, let's the meat of the NFL and college football. I mean, we we talk about a sports equinox one day a year. We had a pretty dramatic one um, this past weekend, but we're gonna have some meaningful sports all going on at the same time. So as much as we thought um, the 2020 would be uh, a boondoggle for the uh, extra point. It's really, it's, 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 everything's coming up, Jared, I think. I don't think that's a good thing. Everything's coming up, Jared. Uh, we were going to open with Game 7, Nuggets, Clippers, and obviously Game 1, the Heat Celtics, which if Game 1 is any indication, this series is going to be off the wall. But let's start with some breaking news just happening in the last five minutes. The Big Ten announced that they're going to play football. It's going to happen. They're going to start October 24th. From the few reports that have, that have come out so far, they're going to have rapid daily testing, which I believe is a little bit different than other conferences. Other conferences have like three three times a week testing, maybe four times a week. Certain schools may have daily testing, but the conference as a whole will have daily testing. 
They're going to be playing at home with no fans, but families are allowed. They're going to play eight games in eight weeks, and they hope to have their championship game on December 19th, which is very late, but also means that, I mean, they're going to try to do this thing. So I guess let's go ahead and get reactions from that. How do we feel about the Big Ten? I guess we knew that they were going to try to make a comeback, but is this... I'm not going to ask if this plan is feasible because I, I think we all think that, yeah, they could do it. But how did this change the landscape of college football? Because we're now in a situation where we have SEC, ACC, and all of them playing 10 games. We have the Big Ten playing eight. We don't know what the Pac-12 is going to do. We have all these group of five schools that are jumping into the top 25 that may now get knocked out because the likes of Ohio State are coming into the poll now. Like, how does this shake up the landscape of college football? Is this... How does it look now? What you're dealing with, Jared, we touched on it a little bit on the show yesterday about how how peculiar it is for um, the SEC and the other conferences to be starting almost three and a half, four weeks after the initial start opening weekend this past weekend. But... Even so, on top of that, you're having the, this big tinge up into the fray now, what it looks like almost a month, if not a little more, after the initial start update for college football. And while that doesn't really matter because there's not much intra-conference action going on, it, it's almost like a bunch of small leagues playing against themselves. It, I don't know how that is going to factor in. I think we touched on it a little bit before the show, you, me, uh, you and me, Jared come playoff time when you're you're pulling from a disparate three different buckets of teams you have the teams that started at the beginning of september teams you started at the beginning of october and then the big 10 who's pushing their season all the way to almost the start of november so you you're pulling from three completely different sample sizes of teams that while while i'm glad they're going to make it happen more football is better in my opinion it, you're, you're pushing championship weekend all the way back to the start of was traditionally bowl season so while I don't I, I have no prediction for how this is going to go I, do, I just predict that whatever we see is going to be highly unusual and it's going to be in, in, like very important for both the committee and the powers that be the NCAA to put a keep keep a close handle on things because I can see this getting out of hand very quickly Davis how about you how, how does this plan just How's this plan forming in your head? Um, I'm still trying to get my awake thoughts going. Well, that's not good. I, you know, I think it'll work out fine for them. I'm just not really sure why they waited so long to do it with all the other teams starting. I get the plan for safety, but I don't know. They just seem to be going back and forth a lot i heard someone i was watching espn last night and they had a good point that no we don't really care if they play or not it's just the uncertainness of them going back and forth so much was the issue with it yeah it's like this plan that they have you know the the daily rapid testing the playing with no fans but just families i mean this is a plan that they could have had a month or two ago right I, I'm not sure what changed in the span of two months other than we saw everybody else play. We want to play too. Underline, we want to make money as well, right? But if 
if they can keep it safe for everybody and the players really want to do it, then by all means, do do what you want to do. Now, that that gets into a different point of there's a, there's a, there's some schools that you know, don't have students on campus that are going to play football. And I don't want to get to this whole big debate about, you know, college athletes and unionizing and, you know, players, should they be, should they be, you know, playing when students aren't allowed on campus because it's not safe for students, but it's safe for players. I don't want to get into all that, right? That's, that's a, that's another discussion for another time when this is all, when this is all over, the season's over, we can discuss that. But for right now, the Big Ten looking like it's coming back. What about the Pac-12? There hasn't been any word from the Pac-12 other than a couple of USC players uh, riding to uh, Governor, I believe, Gavin Newsom and uh, pretty much saying, hey, let us play. As much as I hate to say it, I really don't. (laughs) A couple of players writing a letter to the governor when when, uh, principally... The state of California is still completely shut down for coronavirus concerns. We're not seeing the same kind of rolling reopenings that we are uh, in, in places here in the South where the, the lockdown restrictions were more lenient. And even in New York where things were super tight locked down but have begun to lift as the caseload has dropped. We're still seeing a pretty significant caseload in California and as such the universities and a majority of the state remain closed. And even if you're just taking a look at what's going on with California, I think once again, we brought this up before, but that's half your conference sitting in one state that's effectively uh, no one gets in, no one gets out right now. And on top of that, you have the the, the concept that way back in the summer we had a lot of the public institutions, um, whether academic or otherwise in California, making, drawing a line in the sand hard and fast saying they're shutting down all the way till the new year. And I, I really don't see how uh, other, other states didn't take such a firm of a stance. The entire UC system, which I believe uh, that's two Pac-12 organizations, UCLA and UC Berkeley, the entire UC system is going to be shut down for the foreseeable future. And I, I don't see how you can reboot a 12-team conference with a 10-game schedule without two of your member schools showing up. So, And we've seen, I believe, uh, Cristobal out at University of Oregon has voiced his concern for how how much it pains him to have worked so hard on this team, uh, work to make legitimate progress, and just to be told by the powers that be that to, to just take a seat for a year. I mean, that, that's probably demoralizing as a coach, as a program, as a player and all that. And then some, some, a recent development in that it casts further dispersions onto the idea that the Pac-12 is going to be able to play this season is that, I mean, the entire from Pacific Northwest down to San Andreas Fault is dealing with a pretty significant environmental crisis with, with air quality issues as, as wildfires continue to rage all the way down the Pacific coast. So maybe, maybe the PAC 12 is just going to take a hint from, uh, from the, from the powers that be above the institutional level and maybe sit this one out as the, the environment that's been created for them is not really conducive to any kind of success. Yeah. I believe was, was it giants Mariners that was postponed 
last night because of because the wildfires, the air quality just wasn't good enough. Um, yeah, they, they played they played a seven game in they played a seven inning game as as it was also just shut down due to air quality. Yeah, uh, so the the, the Pac twelve, I gotta assume uh, because it felt it feels like the Pac twelve follows the Big Ten's lead in a lot of stuff. Uh, I gotta assume the Pac twelve is gonna say something in the next uh, seventy two hours that's gonna hint that they may try to come back or at least try to talk about it. But for right now, college football seems to be going on a very uncertain path because, I mean, once everybody gets in and starts playing, we now get into the debate of, and I was telling Jack before the show, it's going to be crazy having to argue about an 8-0 Ohio State and possibly a 9-1 Auburn or 9-1 Georgia or 9-1 Alabama. These, these are the discussions that we now have to start having. We thought it was tough before. It's going to be a lot tougher now. So we'll we'll see where college football goes uh, yeah. as you know that goes. The Big Ten, honestly, I, I really wouldn't have put any kind of stock in them returning, as it seemed like. I don't know. I I don't know exactly how fairly the media has been has been covering this because as there has not been much college football news. This, is, of course, is getting a a uh, non proportional amount of attention from the national media and local media. I assume. Um, even going so far as to bring it into the medical news, you have the Penn State professor bringing up the heart disease concerns. That you have all the players' parents protesting, and you have all these reactionary responses. I mean, I've seen it on CNN. This is a this is a big thing. It's a it's a big cross section of what people are interested in. That's unfortunately led to putting the Big Ten presidents in a difficult situation. And uh, Actually, I sent Carter Bird this tweet last night because it really reminded me of him. It was from Adam Rittenberg from ESPN. It says, the Big Ten presidents are punting the ball to each other on fourth and one from the 37-yard line, very on brand. And that, that's, what, that's what it seemed is that the Big Ten presidents were just constantly continuing to punt back and forth with the, with the people who wanted football, the people who didn't want football, and they kept pushing and pushing and pushing until – they looked at their calendar and said, hey, uh, Alabama's playing in 10 days. We need to make a decision now. And it looks like they have. Where college football may end up come December, what it looks like, the landscape, will Cincinnati be in the top four? Will Louisiana continue their run after one game? Uh, where is the SEC stand? Uh, Big 10, how's their season going? Pac-12, or are they still even you know, moving at that point? It's going to be a wild fall season. Probably, I mean, I know last year was college football's 100 season, but this year is going to be, uh, this is the jumping the shark part of the show where they, they just, anything can happen. All right, so let's move on from college football to the NBA. Games last night. So let's start with game one of uh, Celtics Heat. Because game seven of what happened last night, that's a whole other story. There's a whole lot of discussion to get in with that. Let's start with game one, Celtics Heat. Uh, a great game. If that game tells us anything, is that this series is going to be off the wall, entertaining from game one to hopefully game seven. Because I want to see I want to see seven games of these two teams duking it out. Uh, Miami Heat with a big overtime win. Uh, pretty much capped off by Jimmy Buckets getting that and one 
in overtime, and that kind of just sealed the deal. Although uh, the Celtics last heave, Jason Tatum, uh, hail mary pass down the court. He catches it, falls, gets back up, shoots a three, and it still just like rims out. Uh, a crazy, crazy ending for Celtics Heat. And I just want to get your initial reactions from that game. Davis, we'll start with you first. Celtics Heat, what did you see? Uh, you know, I think the Celtics on paper are definitely the better team when you look at it. When you like compare them, like a lot of people try to do. But you know, they're not really taking into account the Heat. I've already been making all these runs. They're kind of the underdog in all situations. They have Jimmy G buckets. I just I think they want it more. And I'm going to say that later for the Nuggets and Clippers. I think wanting it more is really a big factor in winning games in the bubble because they don't have the fans. They don't have the fans cheering on them to give them confidence. I think that since the Heat are just kind of – they just – Eric Spolstra probably gave them the underdog. They've been having that underdog mentality all year. Eric Spolstra has really been – Coaching well, I think they're going to win this series for sure. After that game, it really they they played great defensively and pretty well offensively too. Jack, it was a pretty entertaining game, um, offensively and defensively. There at the end, I think the Heat were just they were just clutch. They had yeah Jimmy G with the with the and one, and then you had Bam on the other end with that monster block. I mean that was all ball. That was unbelievable to see. Uh, such a pit at any point in the game, especially with the the, the game tying bucket about to go in, and Bam just gets in there and and with the denial. So that was absolutely exhilarating to watch. Uh, I was actually watching it with JP last night. He told me that he doesn't think the Celtics have a championship roster, and that's kind of that's kind of stuck in my head. And and I thought thought about it a little bit because um, I really don't know what to make of that. They have. It seems like they have the the pieces, but at this point, looking at the four teams we have left in the NBA playoffs, that argument can only be made for really one team that they have a championship roster. And, and I think that if, if any year we're, we're looking at a great year for 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 a team of of scrappy underdogs and kind of rejects and your Kimball Walkers who have come so far been beaten down so many times and are finally here to prove themselves. I think it's a great year for them to come out and make a statement. I thought Kemba played played fabulous. Him and uh, him and Tatum really were the, the stars on the court for the Celtics last night. And I think if they can continue that success, I feel like the margin of error that this that this series is sitting on is is razor thin. This 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 is gonna come down to the bounce of a ball, I think. And the Heat have an obvious advantage taking game one, both mentally and in the mathematics of how this is going to shake out. But I think if, if both teams can lock in and stay focused, we could be looking for – we could be looking at an extremely close series going all the way to seven. Uh, you know, you, you bring up the championship roster thing. I think out of the – well, let's see, how many teams – the four teams left now, right? Yeah. I think the Celtics have the second-best championship roster. Mm-hmm. I mean – if we're going by household names, yeah, it, it is them. Everybody, everybody knows who Jason Tatum is. Everybody knows who Kimba Walker is. Like th- these are household names. Obviously, you got the Lakers with LeBron, AD, pretty much the meme team over there. Uh, then you get to the Heat, 
And it was funny enough, like yesterday, I was talking about the Heat, and I was like, man, the Heat got everybody. They got Jimmy Butler, and then I paused because I was, I was thinking to myself, who do I even mention next? Do I mention Bam Adebayo? Do I mention uh, the Dragon, right? Like, yeah. who, like, you know, who, who's next on the Heat team? And then you got the Nuggets with uh, Murray, uh, Jokic. Uh, I, I think they're a, a nice up-and-coming team, and, and we'll get into the Nuggets-Clippers uh, game in a second, but, you know... I I was really you know staking my hope into the into the Celtics, and for the most part, I mean the Celtics had two mo- two moments in that game where they went on a big run, early, uh, late in the second uh, late in the first half, and then like I would say like after the fourth quarter, I mean they were, I mean they had massive leads, but this Heat team just right. just scrapping back and that 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 proves a lot. I mean the Celtics defense, which has been a cornerstone for their championship run, could not clamp down on this Heat team when they needed to. Uh, if they did, we're talking about a whole different game. But instead, this happened. So, uh, yeah, and I think the, the three-point shooting ability of of the Heat is what's going to make them dangerous and scary. To, no, no lead is safe when when the Heat are on the court because I was watching the score go up and down. I didn't flip it on until the fourth quarter. But going out to see him, seeing Tyler Hero and Jay Crowder go out there and make threes. The, no, no one is safe. They they can hit from anywhere on the arc, and they. It was really nice small ball. I thought it was really interesting to watch. You don't see a lot of NBA teams play the way that the Heat are playing with a ton of small ball, getting it inside, kicking it back out. A lot of great ball movement, and then behind the arc, everyone from yeah from Tyler Hero to to big old Jay Crowder were were pulling up from three, and they were going in. So it was it was it was pretty pretty amazing to watch the Heat. Uh, offense, do thing. You know, Jack, you mentioned. I, I don't want to get off course, but you mentioned how uh, the Big Ten's decision to play football. You saw it on CNN. In the yeah. last five minutes, the New York Times, Bleacher Report, the AP, Washington Post, all with push notifications about the Big Ten playing football again. Hey, but you heard it here first, right here on the extra point. You heard it here first. Not Why do you have so many because... news notifications, Jared? You don't know about my news notification. You know, that seems, that seems overkill, dog. I have, I believe, let me, let me count. I have a news folder with all the news apps in it, and I have a, the AP, NPR, uh, Wall Street Journal, uh, CNN, CBS News, uh, Fox News, New York Times, Washington Post, USA Today, and because I like to be spicy, BuzzFeed News. Interesting. And they all send me push notifications. So when something big happens. I.e., uh, let's see, was something big that happened that everybody sent a push notification? When John McCain died, everybody and their mother sent a push notification. And it's just like a big like wall of just notifications. I love it. I, I get, I think if, if you go to my Apple, uh, call it, where you can see all the like stats and stuff, I get on average 400 notifications per day. Which probably would drive a lot of people crazy, but for me, I love it. I love it. What were we talking about again? I got off. I got off course. <laughs> Heat Celtics. Yes. Celtics. Yeah. Uh, man, when Bam's block, I I just gotta say that really, that really changed the game. I mean, literally, because that was the the game winning block. But I mean, it it just shows. I didn't honestly think I knew it would be a good series. I knew these teams would be evenly matched, but every game the Heat play, 
I have I, I gained so much more respect for that team because I mean they're a five seed. I they probably gonna win their first series, maybe win their second series. But this team just each and every time I watch them play, I just think about you know what this is this is this is a championship team. And after after yesterday, I'm like man. It really sucks that I'm gonna stick with the Celtics because this Heat team it got it, it has me excited. I, I want to see this team play more, and I gotta say Eric Spolstra. He is in my mind, Eric Spolstra is probably the most underappreciated coach in in basketball, for what he's done uh, since the jump when he got the job. I mean, this guy he's worked with the best rosters. He's had to slowly rebuild it back. He's added pieces. He's worked with what he's had, and he's turning this Heat team that was going to be good into a, a powerful contender with names that are not household names. Yeah, you got Jimmy Butler, but not a lot of people know about Drogic. Not, not a lot of people knew about you know Bam Adebayo, right? And they're becoming household names now. And just shout out to Eric Spolstra, Eric Spolstra for what he's done. He, he's become such an amazing coach in any organization would be uh, in a greater place if he was their head coach. I, I'm surprised that teams aren't trying to like, just like pick him off from the heat. I know the heat are not going to let him go, but... Everybody's not going to trade him or yeah. let him go. I mean, man, if I'm an organization, I want Eric Spolstra on my staff. I want him as my head coach. He's, He's been on their staff since like the early, like the early, like the late 80s, early 90s, I'm pretty sure. Like this, this guy, he doesn't, he does not get talked about enough for how good a job he's done. He needs to be talked about more. I think what in in the in the coach of the year voting, he may have gotten one vote, I believe, along with like Billy Donovan, who was fired by the way. Eric Spoelstra got the same number of Rightly votes so. as Billy Donovan, who was fired. Uh, which that's another story, but the man's done such a great job, and all, all I can do is rave about him. Uh, I have some about the Bam block before we move on to the Nuggets. I got you. What's up? So Magic Johnson tweeted out, Bam Adebayo's block on Jason Tatum's dunk attempt was the best defensive play I've seen ever in the playoffs. What do y'all think of that? Ever. He mean, Magic I mean, Johnson said ever. Not LeBron's block on Iggy in the finals. I mean, that's all I was about to say. Like LeBron's chase down block, it was on a bigger scale. Uh, it was pretty much from one side of the floor to another, just watching LeBron just hunt his prey. I mean... It's up there. I'm not going to take anything away from Adebayo, but that LeBron block, I mean, you brought up, you know, the best defensive play in NBA history, you know, postseason. And the first thing in my mind was that LeBron block. I mean, um, Magic Johnson's also the guy that said he was excited for the Clippers-Lakers series like two weeks ago. So. He, is a, he is a walking cold take. That's true. You can thank him for that. Uh, although, yeah, in terms of games I was watching and into and – this one, I mean, that, that block was probably up there for me. I don't know. I don't know if I saw LeBron's block live or not, but that one was exciting to watch. The fact that he was, it was over the rim and he was still able to get all ball. I don't know how he physically managed to do that without breaking his wrist, but man did it and man did it cleanly too. I mean, there, there was some great defense in the end, but he don't win that game without some great defense other than Bam's block because there was a um, a couple turnovers under the basket by, I believe, Kemba and a couple other 
uh, Celtics towards the end of the game. And as well as I think the Celtics had two opportunities with the shot clock off to have a go-ahead free throw, and he, he shut them down with the clamps both times. So I, I thought the, the Heat defense, while they're not going to get remembered and maybe for that, that band block, and uh, the, the Jimmy and one is going to get all the credit. I think the Heat defense are really who you have to thank for the Heat taking game one uh, down in the bubble. You know, it's funny you say that because uh, Kimba, after that loss, said, uh, I'm just not playing well. I mean, granted, he did have 19 points in this game. 6 of 19, which could be a lot better. 43 minutes, 1 of 9 from 3. But uh, Kimba putting a lot of blame on himself, saying... Yeah, he's not been playing good all playoffs. Yeah, like... We we could talk about the last couple of games he's had. This is one of his better games that he played, uh, at least in terms of points and efficiency. Uh, but it, it's been a tough row for Kimba, and if if he can get going, I mean, this is uh, we're talking about a different Celtics team uh, in, in a nutshell. For the Heat, I mean, all five of the Heat starters: twenty nine points, twenty two points, twenty points, eighteen points. It. The only person without double digits was Duncan Robinson. He had six, but he only he played foul trouble early, so they took <laughs> yeah. him out. He only played seventeen minutes, but Tyler Hero coming off the bench had a, a nice twelve points for the Heat. So they they had they had that going for him. Uh, the fact that Jimmy Butler could be third on your team in scoring, and you still win. I mean that says a lot because once again these 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 I'm, I'm not saying no names but these these guys that are not as big a name as Jimmy Butler we talk about you know uh Drogic, you're talking about uh Jay Crowder Jay Crowder was second on the team in scoring I forget that Jay Crowder was even on the heat half the time he's and been he, lighting he's been lining up from three from the playoffs he tore the bucks up and uh he he was second on the on the on the heat in scoring so uh, it's really a great testament to how good this Heat team is. Now, let's flip the script. Let's go to the game that everybody's talking about because there's a lot of hot and cold takes from this game. Jared, who'd you pick yesterday? Oh, you know who I picked. I picked the Clippers <laughs> because I, uh, I lived and died by the motto that you don't trust the Nuggets. I died by it. I, I I fell on that sword. The Nuggets big win, one hundred four to eighty nine. Let me tell you how this game went for me. Uh, as I I, I was in my bed asleep last night because it was a late game and I'm old. Okay. The game was on. I remember halftime. It got to halftime. I don't even know what the score was at halftime, but it was relatively close. I fell asleep. I woke up. I woke up literally. At four seconds left in the fourth quarter, and I'm like, "Oh, the game's over. Did the Clippers win?" And then I see they lost by more than ten points, and I was like, "What happened in between when my beautiful eyes went to sleep, and I woke up again?" And it was just simply Kawhi, and Kawhi did not show up in the fourth quarter, and Pandemic P came back, and that was probably the worst combination the Clippers could ever have. At those two guys, your two superstars combined in the fourth quarter scored how many points? Do you guys know how many points they scored in the fourth quarter? Those two combined. I know the Denver as a whole scored 22 in the fourth. <laughs> I, I know Kawhi scored zero. <laughs> <laughs> I'm getting choked up just thinking about it. 
Kawhi and put and and, and PG thirteen. It's gonna be hard for me to say. They scored a combined zero points in the fourth quarter. You're two superstars. So you're paying all this money scored that combined zero points in the fourth quarter. I mean, the definition of going cold, that is it. I'm still not convinced there's a playoff P. Just because he has one good game, nobody can call him that until he has one good series. I mean... Like, you can have a bad playoff game and still be known as a good playoff player. But if you have one good playoff game and you have all the other bad, then I'm not going to call you a good playoff performer. I mean, yeah, I mean, just just look at... Just look at just the, 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 the box score for this team. Kawhi Leonard, 14 points, 6 of 22 from the field. Paul George had 10. Beverly had 11. Zubak had 6 points. Uh, Morris had seven points. Your leading scorer was Harold. He had twenty. He was your leading scorer. Yeah. Um, and then your leading scorer on the other side was, of course, Jamal Murray with forty points, fifteen from the fl- uh, fifteen field goals from the floor. So I mean, he's he's doing his thing. I I really cannot believe that man still has gas in the tank after now quarterbacking two. 3-1 comeback victories here in, in the Western Conference um, playoffs. And doing – I mean, this one was in style. They cruised to this victory after taking the lead 62-61 to off of Jeremy Grant, uh, three-pointer, uh, 8.55 left in the third quarter. They never looked back, and they continued to extend their lead. Um, and they were up 91-76 to with five minutes left in the fourth quarter. And that's the kind of momentum – when you're on the verge – of coming back from 3-1 down to take down your second straight Western Conference playoff opponent, that's the kind of momentum that is impossible to wrangle from you. Uh, And at that point, it should have been completely never in doubt that the Nuggets were moving on. Uh, They shot 35% from three, which if if they are to have any chance against uh, LeBron and the Lakers, they need to keep that going because – the ability to score, score and score efficiently is what they've done in this series. I think they, they scored over 100 points in all but one game this series. So if they can continue to rack up the score like that and, and make it a track meet for the other team, I think that's the Nuggets' key to success here. And clearly the Clippers had no answer for that. The only game the Clippers won convincingly is the one that they held the Nuggets to 85 points. So – the Nuggets need to continue with the the fun and gun, high scoring atmosphere, and just hope, like Kawhi and the rest of the Clippers did last night, that they they go cold from the floor. Yeah, uh, I it, it's really crazy how just a complete collapse from the Clippers. You, I mean, three one. You're up three one. I mean, from the Jazz and the Clippers, I guess just the, the the secret formula for the Nuggets is go down three one, because they activate some sort of trap card or something that they have up their sleeve, and they just storm back. Uh, I'm honestly amazed by what the Nuggets have done in their last two series. Just those 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 six games 
where your back is against the wall. Imagine playing six games where if you lose, you go home and you just ball out and you just win them. That's what the, that's what these Nuggets have done, and they have to be the most dog tired team in the playoffs right now. There's no way that they're not you know running on empty, but they 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 keep finding a way. And ironically, and I, I want to find this quote because I want to make sure that uh, I say it correctly. But it was oh, let me let me go back. But it was actually the Clippers players who were saying that they were kind of struggling with staying in the game for long periods of times because uh, they started getting tired themselves. And I, I, I want to see, here it is, from ESPN, several Clippers struggled to play since longer than three minutes and asked for rest during the fourth quarter. It was the Clippers who were tired, not the Nuggets. Interesting. What are the Nuggets on then? Uh. I don't know, but Michael's secret stuff—they got it. They got it in their bottles. They're they're, they're definitely on something. Uh, <laughs> I mean, and just a, a lot of things happening uh, in in the in the Twitter world and in, in in media after the Nuggets win. Obviously, Dame took the social media and he said some things about uh, Pat Bev. He said, "I guess I should extend this uh, Cancun invite since I haven't made any arrangements yet." <laughs> so, you know, Dame doing his thing on Twitter. Uh, and CJ inviting himself. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's CJ McCollum inviting himself. Jamal Murray calling out the media. Uh, Nugget Star says he wants some respect from Shaq, Chuck, Stephen A, and other media after coming back to beat the Clippers. Uh, the Nuggets want respect, and they should have it by now. What what they've done. Uh, Paul George, he said that. Uh, uh, it wasn't title or bust for them this year, which I think that's kind of, I don't know. I, I don't see how you don't have all the players on your team. You're a two seed, and it's not, you know, if we don't win the title, that wasn't the end of the world because this this team should have at least gotten to the conference finals. There's no reason why they didn't, you know, other than you let the Nuggets win three straight on you. That was that, That's your only excuse at this point right now. Uh, so where where do the Clippers go from here? Like, what's the future for the Clippers? Go home, Jared. They do get booted from the bubble. That is that. They pack before the game. Everyone wants to know. <laughs> what does what do the Clippers look like next year? I mean, because remember, uh, I I know Kawhi's contract is up at the end, end of next year. I don't know what PG's looks like, but I assume his is the same as Kawhi. It's not very long at all. I think his is a little bit longer. From you have like a four year with the OK with OKC. Yeah. Um. Do do the Clippers if they if they don't make it to the at least the conference finals next year? It do they semi rebuild? Are they going to lose pieces and try to gain some other pieces? Is how long is Doc going to be there now? Because he's had some really good teams, but still hasn't gotten to the point that they want to be at. Like, What happens for this Clippers team? Saw... Become... Wait, you got it, Jack. Do they become an evidence against load management? Oh, hot take. Uh... 
that's what the chat has been about is that what was all this load management for if you're just gonna not load manage yourself out of the bubble Kawhi? that's uh, not entirely fair i'll say i mean it's a bubble it you took three months off it's it's fine but for the sake of takes what what, what did all that that sitting on the bench do for the clippers I mean, if anything, if, if, if the story about the Clippers uh, players not being able to go longer than three minutes and they're asking for rest in the fourth quarter, if that means anything, that means there is something going on. Either uh, that three months really hurt them conditioning-wise or they just didn't manage their players correctly and they were just tired by Game 7. It might have been the dinner that Doc took them to before or after Game 6. <laughs> it could be. It could be that too. They were talking about it. He was like, whether they win or lose, they're going to a dinner, and they watched the football games there. So they might have eaten too much. I went to Olive Garden. You think they went to Olive Garden? I hope hope they went to Olive Garden. That's a big, heavy meal. I'd probably look like Kawhi if I had eaten Olive Garden the night before. So big and tall and big hands? I mean, sluggish. (laughs) 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 Well, Olive Garden's the place. I remember. Is, all, they, there's, they is there Olive there. Garden in the bubble? There better be. I feel like there isn't. I mean, I don't know. Is Olive Garden Disney affiliated? Do I look like I work for Disney? Not yet. I Davis. thought you did because they own everything except the extra point. Oh, that's what that's the, that's what you think. They don't own the extra point. The extra <laughs> you are Disney affiliated. The extra point's about two degrees of separation away from Disney, and that's too close for comfort for me. <laughs> We're flying yeah. too close to the sun. So there's no NBA games today, but uh, the let's see, uh, game two of Celtics Ra- uh, Celtics Raptors Celtics Heat starts uh, on Thursday. Boston a two and a half point favorite. And then on Friday, we'll have Nuggets Lakers. And then from there, they'll start, you know, changing back and forth. So you should have a game each day. Friday is the Western Conference Finals start. Mm-hmm. I believe I, that is the first time the Nuggets and Lakers have made it since 2009, I believe. Well, it's a rematch of the 2009 Western Conference Finals. The Lakers are a six and a half point favorite. I, I don't want to talk about it now because the game's on Friday, so we'll talk about it more uh, tomorrow. But uh, what are the initial thoughts about this Nuggets-Lakers series? And by initial thoughts, I mean, I, I'm going to say this and mark it down on September 16th, about 10 days from now, I'm, I'm going to look like a total idiot because it's going to backfire. But, and how many games do we think the Lakers are going to win this series? In before the Lakers go three one and then inevitably blow it. Uh, yeah, that's. I mean, at, at some point the Lakers are going to be up three one in this series. Nobody's going to get real sweaty. I'm just going to say that. That's my prediction. I mean, it, it, it's from the Nuggets' perspective. It's fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. If it happens a third time, I guess they're just going to be NBA champions because I don't see anybody else beating them. I mean, they're going up against the title favorite. These are the Lakers. This is the prize fight. This is the main event. This is, in, in my head, if I'm the Nuggets, this is this is my NBA championship. We got to beat the Lakers. We beat the this Lakers. Been, we know we can do it. And this has been a story since since January. I mean, the, the heir apparent, the presumptive Western Conference Finals nominee, 
has been the Lakers. I think, it, I mean, you weren't a crazy person if you called this from, from 10,000 feet off. Everyone knew it was going to be the Lakers, but I don't think anybody even dreamed or hoped that it would be the Nuggets lining up on the other side of the court. So it, it, it's a crazy dynamic for a crazy situation we've been thrown in. I think it's, 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 a, it's a perfect storyline. Uh, whether the NBA wanted the Clippers or to win or not, Last night, maybe they even tried to help them win, but they were so far gone that not even uh, Adam Silver could could push the Clips to the finals. It, it, it's a situation where you have a real David and Goliath, and honestly, if I'm being completely honest, a real David and Goliath for anybody that's coming up against the Lakers, finals or otherwise. So it, it's either going to be the Nuggets with an opportunity to be the world killers or whoever rolls out of the East in, in a few weeks. So I think that... The Nuggets have shown enough grit for me to I, – I, I counted them out. I've counted them out twice now, so I'm not going to make that mistake a third time. Hopefully that isn't that – isn't I mean, I've been saying the gas is going to run out of tank since the Game 7 of the Jazz series. So they're obviously coasting down a hill or something. He's charging the battery because an unbelievable performance by this whole Nuggets team. And I think they're, they're, they're on their way to a real type of legacy uh, if they can overcome 2-3-1 – Deficits defeat the presumptive finals favorite and heir apparent LeBron James and those LA Lakers. And honestly, it'll be interesting no matter what happens. I just I just don't see how this this series isn't compelling, save for a uh, four game sweep. Yeah. So Heat Celtics game two that's tomorrow, and then on Friday you got Lakers Nuggets and. In about 10 days, maybe even a week, we'll know who the NBA Finals uh, representatives will be. And by the time, I mean, we are about a, a couple, a week and a half away from what Jack would describe as the sports equinox. The NBA Finals are going to start. Uh, Major League Baseball, which we're about to get into, they got their playoff plans ready. They're about to get ready for their postseason. Uh, by that time, the SEC will be back. College football for the most part, uh, aside from the Big Ten, will be in full swing. Uh, am I missing somebody? The NFL will be in, in what week two, three, four? At that point, yeah. I mean, it's gonna be it's gonna be a fun time. Let's go over to baseball. As once again, I find it very funny. So obviously, you know, being a Cardinals fan and life hates me, I listened and saw each notification come through. As the Brewers put up 18 runs on the Cardinals yesterday, that wasn't fun. But this is the second time in about a week that the Brewers put up 18 runs, which is amazing for baseball. Yet they didn't put up the most runs that night. That goes back to the Braves scoring what 29 runs uh, the other day. The Brewers scored 18 later that night. The Braves scored 29. Again, the Brewers scored 18, and the same day the Yankees scored 20. So the Brewers got overshadowed once again by their offense popping off on somebody. Uh, But uh, baseball, uh, as they keep going and and the the playoffs are either a little bit more clear, one thing that is clear is their playoff plan. They have approved uh, their bubble sort of plan that they have for Major League Baseball. And I, I say it's... It's a nice compromise. You don't you're not all in one place, but you get a little bit of a variety 
and I, I think it's a good plan to keep these players safe. Obviously, we know that baseball's had some issues here and there with some COVID outbreaks, and obviously, uh, a lot of teams on the West Coast are dealing with fires. Uh, so I think this is I think this is a good plan for Major League Baseball. Uh, so pretty much what's happening in Major League Baseball is that remember baseball has an extended playoffs uh, for this year Uh, pretty much let's see uh, pretty much uh, they hope to allow 25% capacity uh, for these games in Arlington Uh, Arlington is about 40,000 seat stadium Uh, 25% capacity Uh, they're hoping that uh, these games kind of golf without a hitch. Um, they're so pretty much, and I'm not, I'm not an expert on the MLB postseason plan, but it's pretty much they're taking everybody who won their division, and then everybody who came in what second in their division, and then a couple of wild card teams. Is that what's going I on? I don't. I from my understanding, it's just top eight in both. Okay, so top eight Cause because. For whatever reason, every time I read somebody explain the MLB postseason plan, it, it's always it, it feels like it changes every time I read it, and I don't know why that is. Yeah, so if you look at the at the playoff bracket for the uh, MLB, it looks a lot like the NBA or the NHL playoffs. It's just your your classic um, sixteen team. Although I I am seeing now it it is uh, divisional leaders versus two wild cards so yeah there's two wild cards per league and i guess the top two from every division so that yeah, gives you a solid eight on each of the uh each of the leagues uh and then for this modified bubble it has been confirmed the wild card games will be at the home parks for the one two three and four seeds for all three of those wild card games three if necessary it's a three-game series the NLDS will be held at Globe Life Field in Arlington and Minute Maid Park in Houston. The ALDS will be held at Petco Park and Dodger Stadium. The NLCS will be at Globe Life Field, ALCS in San Diego. And the World Series will be in the Home Depot Garden section at Globe Life Field in Arlington. Of course, the distinction there is that the NLDS getting played into American League parks, the ALDS getting played into national league parks just to prevent anybody from having home field advantage um and on the final note of a neutral site world series the rangers are currently 17 and 30 so not much of a chance of any kind of home field advantage for the rangers in this one so um i think another just an important side note while we've all been seeing the news is that with, with we saw the air quality in Seattle postponing a game, so that that is a legitimate threat when it comes to baseball. Um, and, and seeing as two of these, uh, all, all the American League action is going to be going on in California and San Diego and Los Angeles, it appears that Phoenix has been sh- set up as an emergency site if any wildfires were to create problems or other. I mean. In 2020, you never know what could pop up in uh, the San Andreas Fault or the Chavez Ravine. So Phoenix has been opened up as an alternative site, another National League park for these guys to play in if push comes to shove and baseball has to move out of Southern California. So, I mean, that, in a nutshell, 
is what's going on with Major League Baseball. I mean, I feel like baseball is such a hard thing to talk about on a daily basis because it's like things change on the daily for baseball. I mean, uh, bless you. Uh, things change on the daily for baseball. I mean, just look at the top two teams in each division. You got your Rays and Yankees. Uh, your White Sox, which, you know, shout out to the White Sox and them playing very well. Unseeded White Sox if the playoffs were to end today. I mean, I, I, I know I talk about I know I talk a lot about the twenty twenty bingo card. This wasn't on it. It definitely was not on uh the radar. Something I'd like to point out is that we have the potential this season to end five of the longest running playoff droughts in MLB history in the same year. With um the White Sox, the Marlins, the Mariners and the Phillies are four of them. I cannot think of the fifth, but the fact that the Mariners could make the playoffs, which they have not done since 2001. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, is the right. other... Yeah, if the, if, the series, if the season were to end today, which, I mean, mark your calendars because the season ends in 16 days. So it's not that far off. I mean, this has really snuck up on me. I don't know about you guys. Um, if the season were to end today, the, the number one White Sox versus the number eight Indians, the number two Rays versus the number seven Blue Jays, the number three Athletics versus the number six Yankees, the number four Twins versus the number five Yankees, and then in the NL, you would have the top-seeded Dodgers against the Giants, the Cubs against the Phillies, the Braves against the Cardinals, and the Padres against the Marlins. Can we not do Braves Cardinals again? I saw flashbacks. I mean, you have a lot of division rivalries cropping up in here. Uh, White Sox and Indians, Rays, Blue Jays, Athletics, Astros, uh, Dodgers, Giants. And then you have some historic rivalries like Twins, Yankees, Braves, Cardinals. I mean, this is going to make for some interesting postseason baseball. I hope that... Because I don't know, I don't think they have like the playoff like schedule for like the wild card round up yet or anything like that. But I know that one thing the NBA ran into was that their games were played in like the middle of the day when not a lot of people could watch them. And I know baseball really can't avoid that because I mean mm-hmm. historically their games have always been in the you know middle of the week, maybe when you're at work. But I I, I do hope that they find a way to I don't know. Right, especially, I mean, that, that already is an issue, I believe. Like, the wild card game was at night, but I think last season, uh, the the game 163 that had to be played, I think that was that was, a, that was like noon first yeah. pitch. It was like middle of the day. I wasn't able to watch any of the Predators games in the NHL bubble playoffs because they were all at 2 p.m. So, hopefully they can get this into some prime time, at least the compelling matchups I would want to see. But it's it's one thing I'll note about this is that while while Manfred has been very vocal about oh we're not going to do the neutral site World Series ever again we're not going to do the the double header rule or the extra inning rule those are COVID nineteen exclusives we're not going to do those again he's been pretty silent on this playoff format and I think as awkward as having three divisions is for, for playoff seating, someone's always going to get left out disproportionately. I think as, as far as a symmetrical, beautiful playoff with, with no, I mean, and another bonus of this is that there are no bye weeks. 
you go from pitch to game to game, no days off, which in baseball is crucial. We've seen momentum made and destroyed in October. I mean, and case in point for that is your world champion Washington Nationals last year, who went from utter despair in the wild card game against Milwaukee to rolling on to defeat the Dodgers in five, sweeping the Cardinals, and then taking the world champion Astros to seven, all based off of a a Josh Hader hanging slider that they sent to center field. I mean, that was one game that catapulted them all the way to a a pennant. And you have that situation is going to be playing out eight times across the entire league in one weekend. It's going to be, it's going to be pandemonium. And I think if, if this, if, if ratings go gangbusters here for the MLB, I would not lose any sleep if they were to change to this playoff format, especially, I mean, it's beautiful to look at the NFL, the old MLB playoffs along with the NFL playoffs are ugly to look at. They're jagged. They're not symmetrical. It, it, it feels like someone's always getting left out. We saw the NFL add a third wildcard team. That's already uh, making its way into analytics predictions. I mean, I'm seeing graphics already about playoff predictions with that seventh team thrown in there for a 14-team playoff. And if, if you throw more than half the league into the MLB playoffs, you're going to see some some truly Cinderella stories. I mean, you got the Indians and the Giants in the playoffs right now, two teams that would have never had a snowball's chance in hell of ever making an October run are now poised to be world beaters and take down the one seeds starting out in the first weekend. Yeah, I know people always have a uh, a disdain for adding more teams because there's always that discussion of, oh, why you, why, why is ha- why is half the league in the playoffs? Why is this team that's under 500? Depending on what league you're in, right? Because we know in, in, in NBA in the in the Eastern Conference that eight seed is probably gonna be under 500. Rest in peace, Magic. Am I right? But there's always a discussion of why did this team get uh, rewarded for going to the playoffs for being under 500? And it's well, sometimes in order for the Cinderella, the Cinderella story to happen, you got to have the Cinderellas first. I mean, there's a reason why there's a Magic around the NCAA March Madness playoff, uh, March Madness tournament, because there's the big names, there's your underdogs. There's your Cinderellas, and then there's your no names, which you don't even know who they are. Uh, case in point, shout out to Laloya Chicago, who was oh so close, but oh yet so far from their run. Uh, or, and I, I hate to bring them up, UMBC when they finally knocked off a one seed. Never forget. Uh, that seems like it was like ten years ago now, but it <laughs> in order for you to have those stories, you got to let those teams in. So. Out of all the rules that I hope baseball keeps, I do hope that they do keep at least the playoff uh, expansion format. Uh, I don't know how I feel about the seven-inning doubleheader. I mean, I guess it makes sense uh, from a a speed perspective and, you know, those extra two innings, you can shake those off and be fine. The the man on second rule, we we can probably do away with that. I, I I don't really have any affinity for that. But other than that... Shout out to baseball because it, at one point months ago, it seemed like they weren't even going to play, but now it seems like they got uh, all their ducks in a row and they're they're going full steam ahead. So shout out to them. And I also want to say, because they never get any recognition for the good work they put in, shout out to National League Hockey or uh, yeah, National Hockey League. I said that backwards. Shout out to the NHL for uh, what they've done because I mean, 
I know that they're not the most beloved sport in the United States, right? And that they're playing in Canada, but they've gone off their playoffs without a hitch. I don't think there's I don't I haven't heard one problem yeah. from hockey at I all. I don't think they've missed one I don't think they missed one game. Um congratulations to the Dallas Stars for winning the Western Conference. And let's take a look at what's happening in the Eastern Conference as the Islanders and the Lightning are squaring up for that one. So Islanders getting a chance to be relevant for the first time since the 80s uh, as, as Eberle seals the 2-1 double overtime win to keep the Islanders alive. But it's going to take some work as Vasilevsky and the Tampa Bay Lightning are still on the cusp of winning that Eastern Conference to take on the Dallas Stars. Dallas Stars are going to be the beneficiaries of a lot of rest as they have already locked up uh, <laughs> as the top-seeded Golden Knights once again, choke away a chance to play for the Stanley Cup for the second year in a row. I mean, honestly, props to Vegas for coming out of nowhere and making the playoffs in every season they've existed, but unable to seal the deal for the third straight year. Um, taking a look once again at that Islanders Lightning series, if my monitor will turn on. Oh. Well, I believe everything you're saying about hockey. I have no idea what's going on other than the teams that are left. Uh, I'm going to assume the players that you mentioned exist, and I'm <laughs> going to I'm going to assume that uh, the the way it, things are going is actually happening. But uh, that Lightning Islanders game is Thursday at 7 p.m. Tampa Bay is on the cusp of winning this one. They lead the series three two. But we've seen crazier things, uh, 3-1 deficits being overcome over in the NBA, so why not a little bit of bubble hockey to boot? So tomorrow, 7 p.m., Lightning taking on the Islanders, Tampa Bay leading that one 3-2 after the Islanders took a 2-1 victory in double overtime of Game 5. So that is your quick hockey recap. We are looking at a Dallas Stars versus the either the New York Islanders or the Tampa Bay Lightning in the playoff bubble up in the frozen white north of Canada. So there's your hockey news for the day. Uh, moving on to the NFL as we come toward the end of the show. I just want to say I do love the fact I, I hate everything about calling the Raiders Las Vegas. I hate everything about it. But the fact that they, yeah, they, they were LV on the uh, the bottom of the the, the, the score bug when they played the Panthers on Sunday. And I mean, let's just. If, if the Raiders make the Super Bowl and it's the LV Raiders in Super Bowl LV, I don't know if I'm, my little heart is going to be able to handle that. <laughs> it's, uh, it's not going to be fun. One thing I do like about the Raiders is that uh, even uh, Mark Davis, who is the uh, the owner of the Raiders, even he, because this is a quote from him, he said as they, they're opening their new stadium, right? He said, welcome, uh, he said, to the Death Star where our opponent's dreams come to die. I do like that they're going with this. So, that's one yeah, thing. The latest new stadium is awesome. Uh, I don't know. It, it must be hot. It must be like a blackbird because... That thing is jet black in the desert sun. It must be like a like a toaster oven in there, but <laughs> probably it looks cool. And I think 
But whatever happens in the NFL, the biggest winner of, of this whole situation is the University of Nevada, Las Vegas running Rebels, who get a home stadium better than anyone else in college football, just by the beneficiary of the Raiders coming to town. That is UNLV's home stadium, and it is it is currently decked out in running Rebels red and black because that is that is their proud home. And I, if that program is, is going to have any kind of of success what a venue to have it in it, it, it's an unbelievable site I, that thing looks super cool on the inside i think we want to talk about stadiums a little more um we saw got a good look at sofi stadium out in inglewood on sunday night football that thing is a is a, is a work of art in terms of, of modern design and why yeah we didn't see it with fans of course but the fact that that stadium is is both indoors and outdoors at the same time with with the the open and then the wraparound. I think the wraparound scoreboard improved from from the Atlanta edition, which up in the roof. I think this one suspended from the ceiling. It, it's kind of a, a merger between the Jerry World big board and the Atlanta ring scoreboard. I thought SoFi Stadium was super cool. I'd love to go to a game there, and I think the new stadiums in the NFL. While, while we're not going to get a, a, a chance to to measure the acoustics and the decibels and all, all, all the talking points like that, who gets to be the loudest stadium, I, I think we're looking at a very interesting situation here in the NFL. Yeah, I mean, ever since the start, ever since what I would say was the building of Jerry's, Jerry's World, each stadium has tried to one-up themselves. You had Mercedes-Benz in Atlanta with this nice retractable roof, you know, and that was that was cool in the moment, right? And then... You have Allegiant Stadium and SoFi Stadium with their cool designs and kind of their 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 unique look. I think the only new stadium that's kind of just eh, right? It didn't do anything cool. Was the 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 49ers new stadium, which is just a regular stadium. There's nothing wrong with it. It's just they're not doing anything cool with it, I guess. SoFi Stadium has that that, that video board five billion dollars. That's ridiculous. That's unreal. That's uh, that's utterly ridiculous. How much that that whole thing costs? I I, I mean, I would love to go to games like that. And I, I mean, you still have your you still have your uh, historic places like Lambeau Field. Uh, I shudder at the day that one day the Packers are just be like, you know what? It's time for a new stadium, and they, they have to change it up. Uh, it's gonna be a sad day. It's a, it's gonna happen eventually. I don't know when, but it's gonna be a sad day. Uh, but uh, aside from the stadium aspect of all these teams, uh, what we do have is week one in the books, and uh, the the hot takes have come down from the weekend, and we're, we're now getting ready for week two. Uh, Bengals and Browns are tomorrow for Thursday Night Football. Cleveland is a five-and-a-half-point favorite. Um, outside of that, we saw a lot of teams struggle in opening weekend uh, with their games. We saw, uh, obviously, the, the Cowboys, Mike McCarthy. I have no idea what he was thinking on certain plays, but he did what he did. Uh, we saw a lot of teams like your Patriots who have a great roster, but, well, I say great. They have a good roster, but uh, they struggle with their opponents. <coughs> I mean, we saw Saquon Barkley literally have, what, 16 rushing yards. We saw the Titans kicker 
literally, you know, missed four field goals, but he's still the the winner of all of our hearts. Uh, it's been a rough opening weekend for the NFL in terms of play uh, with no preseason, but they ho- they look to turn around in week two. So w- what are kind of the biggest storylines going into week two, at least from your perspective? I think we're, we, I think a lot of people were surprised at the first place teams in a couple of situations. You have the Washington football team and the Jacksonville Jaguars, who a lot of people probably picked to win a total of three games uh, combined between the two of them. They have both uh, jumped out to an unabashed and uncontested division lead in both their respective divisions. So, of course, your sample size is small, but but we're looking at, at, at teams to be surprising. And I think the biggest surprise of the weekend was was the Washington football team taking down the Philadelphia Eagles after being down by 17. So I think the I think another thing is is Tom Brady. I think a lot of people didn't like what they saw out of Tom on Sunday, um, but it's to be expected. You're in a completely new offense. I mean, the Bucks look no, the Bucks offense looks nothing like it did just a year ago. I mean, there, there's a lot of moving parts that they had to assemble together against, and it wasn't a cakewalk either. It was against the New Orleans Saints on week one. So I believe the Bucks are taking on the Panthers this Sunday. So we'll see if Tom Brady can get it together and put together a decent performance there with a powerful pass rush coming from the Panthers. And we're also looking at a situation where Aaron Rodgers, who I think was the the hero of Sunday with four touchdown passes against a, a Vikings team that a lot of people probably thought was going to be a pretty serious contender. Um, it, it's hard, hard to contend when you're giving up 40 points a game. Obviously, your sample size, once again, very small. So I'll be interested to see week two, which when you figure out who are the contenders, who are the pretenders, and who, who is just putting on a, a, a decent show for the week one audience and who's actually going to be able to put their nose to the grindstone and make a decent showing for themselves throughout the entire 16-game schedule. Uh, as two faithful uh, Panther fans, uh, how do you guys feel about the Buccaneers coming uh, coming up this week? Our defense isn't that hot so far. As Jack said, it's a small sample size. We didn't play that hot defensively against the Raiders. And I'm not sure how well we'll play against the Bucks, but how they played against the Saints, who granted do have a better defense. I'm a little worried, but not like it's the end of the world. I think we do have a chance in this game. You do? Yeah, I I'll mean, the same. played well. I'll, I'll give them a chance. The, the Panthers definitely surprised me on Sunday. I did not expect them to be winning that game at any point. I was expecting a three-score blowout um, to, a, to a pretty competent Raiders team. What does give me hope is the fact that he – Panthers lost that game because of rushing, I believe. Uh, Josh Jacobs rushed for three touchdowns, and the Bucks don't really have a rushing game entirely established. They, yes, they picked up Fournette, but he is a new acquisition to the team, and we haven't seen him produce. Um, what worries me a little bit is the pass rush. Um, the Panthers picked up a pretty much entirely new defensive line with um, with – uh, Brian Burns, the draft two years ago, they got Uter Gross Matos out of Penn State, and then, of course, big man Derek Brown, War Eagle, to back up that defensive line. And they did not get any kind of pressure on Derek Carr uh, on Sunday. Derek Carr was never sacked, and it really didn't look like he was ever uncomfortable in the backfield. He didn't produce very much. Um, 
he, he got a couple of over the middle of the field to Renfro, a wheel route to Aguilar for a touchdown. But I think when, when you're up against a passing threat like Tom Brady, you need to bring the pressure. And I think there's going to be some incentive for the Panthers to get some pressure. This is a division rival now. This is a team that the Panthers love to hate. And this is a – I mean, if, if, if Derek Brown or Brian Burns gets a sack on Tom Brady, it's going to be on every recap – of the weekend so there's a chance to be part of history to get a to get a sack on Tom Brady right there so I think there's gonna be some motivation for the Panthers they definitely don't want to start the season 0-2 and with with the the Buccaneers in play and Tom Brady basically the team of the offseason coming up against the Panthers there's going to be some serious motivation for them to bring their best who are your uh just to have a little bit of fun who are your way too early Super Bowl uh picks so far Way, way too early. I think it's hard to get pick against the Seahawks right now, considering what a complete game they put together in Atlanta. The Atlanta offense ran crazy all over them, and still they somehow managed to put up 40 points uh, and hold the Atlanta to uh, to 24, I believe. So I think Seattle has a complete team put together. I think it's time for, for Russell Wilson to, to come back uh, they kind of ran into a brick wall of the San Francisco 49ers last season, but it looks like the 49ers have taken a little bit of a step back after they dropped to the Cardinals week one. So I think the door is wide open for Seattle to march their way all the way to the playoffs. We found Jacob, by the way. Jacob, how are you? <laughs> I'm doing well. Not much to add to that. <laughs> uh, we were talking about way too early – Super Bowl uh, picks, and Jack was mentioning how it's hard pick against the Seahawks. What about you? I know this is a, a cold open take for you. Who are your way too early Super Bowl picks in the NFL? See, I probably wouldn't pick anyone in the NFC West right now, just because I think that division is going to be really difficult. And I mean, maybe it'll help them in the playoffs because they'll have that competitive edge and they've been through a tough slate. But I mean, I think I, I probably look in the AFC and I think this is the year that the Ravens can get it done. I mean, I think even though the you could look at that game against the Browns and say, well, the Browns could have been in it easily, but I think the Ravens look solid and they've added some nice pieces like J.K. Dobbins. I think that they're going to be able to take that step, that leap from not being able to win in the playoffs to Super Bowl bound. Davis? You know, they just kind of took both of mine. Um, I don't want to be the same guy. I don't want to be the boring guy and say the Chiefs, even though they probably are still the heavy favorites. So I'm going to go – it's the Saints. Just shake it up a little bit. It's Drew Brees probably – it's twilight years. He's trying to get another Super Bowl. The team wants to win it for him. Sean Payne's a decent coach, I guess. So, yeah, the Saints. Yeah, the Saints are in a situation where – they're, I mean, they're getting to the point where they're going to have to choose between Breeze or Camara, honestly, because Breeze is coming. Yeah, like you said, his time's coming to an end. Camara, I think, wants and deserves more money as one of the top backs in the league. So I think, I think much like we saw the Patriots had a changing of the guard where they are, they are a fresh-faced team, I think the, the Saints are not the kind of ailing quarterback is going to have to and let let uh, someone else take the reins. Hopefully they find someone else before Damus Winston puts the helmet on. It's going to be Taysom I'll, Hill. 
No, yeah, okay. maybe. But <laughs> I also think the Saints are kind of in win now mode. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, well, like they, they might make some moves at the like trading wise, just to try to win the Super Bowl this year. What What was a report that came out over the weekend where it was like if Brady, if uh, Breeze retired, the Saints went at Brady. So they they already had a plan in place, and mm-hmm. they're they want to make sure that even if Breeze leaves, they're not gonna blow it up. We're gonna keep chugging along. Uh, if we're going with the uh, thought process of not picking the same teams, so leaving me the scraps of that everybody didn't choose, <laughs> uh, I guess I'll go Packers uh, as the fourth team. Pretty much, uh, they're a really good team. As far as the AFC goes, I mean, I feel like I feel like once you get past the the the, the Chiefs and the Ravens, it's kind of whatever at that point. Uh, so I'll I'll throw a, I'll throw a, a haymaker in there and I'll, I'll say Bills. Uh, I feel, I feel like the I Bills, like the Bills are slowly but surely. Be, their defense was already great. They they have a really good defense. It's the offense and Josh Allen flailing his arms <laughs> uh, at certain times that they got to figure out. Uh, if they can figure that out, I mean, I feel like they can easily win the division, and I feel like uh, they can make a, a certain run in, in the playoffs if everything goes according to plan for the Bills. So watch out for that Buffalo team. I think uh, I think there'll be a lot of fun to watch. Jacob, let's get your opinions on what happened in NBA last night. Uh, we'll first start with uh, Celtics Heat. Well, this Celtics team, I remember I didn't give them a chance to win against the Raptors. I didn't think it'd be these Heat that would come in and potentially, which that game last night was good. It wasn't like the Celtics got dominated, but the Heat have all the momentum in the world. They don't really have anyone that I think can slow them down currently. Uh, I do I do like well, what the Celtics had done, but I didn't like what they decided to do, you know, having Jason Tatum be the guy at the end of both regulation and overtime. I know he was playing a good game, but you've got Cardiac Kimba on your team. I think you got to give him at least one of those shots. So that's kind of where I'm at on that series is that the Heat are almost unstoppable right now, and the Celtics' late game management's been kind of iffy. That's true. The Celtics, uh, even at the very end, when Tatum caught the ball, fell down, and still got a shot off, uh, their, their their management has been kind of iffy here and there. They've gone on big runs to get big leads, but they ended up blowing them, and then it's kind of whatever at that point. But the big game last night was Nuggets. Clippers, also known as the Clippers, failing to reach the conference finals once again. I want to give credit to the Nuggets. It's but it's hard to when Paul George and Kawhi Leonard both scored zero points in the fourth quarter, and you can give credit to the Nuggets for that. But it was just such a really a, a choke job. I think someone said it was the worst um, performance they've seen in a half since. Germany, Brazil, and the World Cup that first half from Germany or Brazil. And I mean, it was a pretty terrible second half for the Clippers. And they really, really need a. I mean, Paul, I think it was Paul George that said it wasn't a championship or bust this year, but the way they lost this series, it's hard to have any, any confidence in them next year or whenever they're in this position again. So. I look at this, and Kawhi's proven himself. He with the Raptors, he proved himself that he can win a championship. You know, but 
you know, other guys, you know, Doc Rivers is blown like now three, three to one leads. Of course, he does have a championship, but Paul George, he hasn't proven himself. I think the Clippers are in position to do something, but I don't trust them ever again. And kind of just falling back into what we started the show with, kind of just to wrap it all up. College football. Jacob, I don't know if, I, I assume you got the notifications. The Big Ten's back, so rejoice. Uh, October 24th, the Big Ten makes its triumphant return in an eight-game season, eight weeks, eight games, no days off, championship on December 19th. So a nice early Christmas present for a lot of college football fans. Uh, what's the initial thoughts about the Big Ten returning and kind of how they're doing it and what this means for the landscape of college football? Because now you have... 10-game schedule SEC and ACC. You got eight-game schedule Big Ten. We don't know what the Pac-12 is doing over on the West Coast. You have all these group of five schools just trying to do their best to play the season. Uh, What happens in college football? I mean, the landscape is completely different now because now you're going to have Ohio State who's going to go from second-ranked to unranked to second-ranked again. Don't think that's ever happened. I know that's never happened, but it's one of those things where we're going to have a lot of controversy when it comes to playoff time because the Big Ten's only going to play eight games, SEC's going to have to play ten, so on, so on. I, I'm, I don't know if the I've also the Big Ten's plan. Got, I think it was a five percent positivity rate is when they shut down, mm-hmm. which doesn't seem like a lot and we've seen around the country games already being canceled georgia southern had which it might not be all positives but at least it's contact tracing yeah Um, arkansas state just canceled their game exactly and they played this past saturday one against kansas state i really really am not so sure what's the thing of this because i'm not confident the big 10 is gonna really now if they're doing the rapid testing they're doing testing every day i think is what was said then they might not the positivity rate might stay below 5%, but it's just hard for me to believe that. So, yeah. I, I I mean, I think it's really going to shake up the college football landscape if they get through the season, but I'm not sure that's going to happen. Yeah, I mean, it, it's going to be a tough time for a lot of teams just, you know, with the, with the daily rapid testing. I mean, Orgeron came out just the other day about LSU, and he said most of his team has contracted the virus. So... I guess there's that. I mean, I think that's safe to say for a lot of teams, and I mean, the population in general. I mean, it's just the asymptomatic stuff. You don't know. The only reason they know is because they're getting tested every week or so, whereas people like us, if we're asymptomatic, we don't know because we have no reason to go get tested. Uh, Some other news in college football. Uh, For Georgia, they will probably not likely name their starting quarterback until game day in a couple of, and well, I say a couple of weeks in what's today? The 16th, 10 days, 10 days, 10 days. College football returns. Well, at least from the sec perspective, uh, Georgia won't name a starting quarterback until game day. Uh, we had USC players petitioning or not petitioning, writing their governor about letting them play. Uh, so college football, for the most part, uh, seems to be going as well as we expected. Uh, a couple of cancellations here and there, which I think was to be expected. 
But for the most part, other than the, the Big Ten news dropping early this morning, uh, it, it, it's gone smoothly. I guess is the word I'll use. It's smooth enough. Um, is there anything else that we haven't talked about on the show yet? I feel like we I hit all know. our paces. Yeah, <laughs> you think we covered it? Well, uh, just to close it all out, uh, just because I feel like we haven't talked about them yet up to this point. Uh, Auburn football is on its way back. They're playing Kentucky uh, not too far from now. Uh, Auburn, it is now, I think it's went up, 10.5 point favorite against Kentucky. Uh, so that's going to be a, a lot of fun. Uh, how are we feeling about this Auburn team, especially uh, after hearing some news that a couple of players had to be held out of practice and you know, there's a lot of jumbling going around on a practice and certain players getting reps, other players not, and and just having to balance getting ready for a season compared to, you know, not all your players are practicing at the same time. I mean, the fact we don't really know what position groups have been affected is what's concerning. I mean, if it's like the wide receivers that have been affected, you're a little less worried, but if it's a defensive line then or, you got some issues because the depth's not there the and you don't have a lot of experience. Yeah. If it's often, yeah, that would be even more disastrous for Auburn. So it's hard to tell. It's hard for me to say whether the player sitting out um, concern me, concerns me or not. Because like I said, if it's the receivers, there's so many guys that can fill in that I wouldn't have a if, – if Anthony Schwartz didn't get to play the first game, I believe in Kobe Hudson or Xavier Capers to step in and play well but if Austin Troxel's not playing he's starting left tackle then there's a bit more concern yeah Jack how are we feeling about Auburn football uh, yeah it, it, it's it's the position groups that worry me because it these guys practice together and if 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 a little bit of exposure gets in there, it gets to the whole position group, and I, I, that worries me in terms of who's who's going to be in and out for games. I think there's got to be a whole binder full of contingency plans on Gus Malzahn's desk for what to do if certain player groups are unable to be fitted up for the game, and it, it, it's an interesting situation that you don't see in other sports, wherein the, these position groups are playing together and living and dying by their ability to play because it's it's pretty much going to be all or nothing considering how um cautious the university is and rightfully so with with the, the player safety that if 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 the the, the d-line has to sit out and the d-line has to sit out we're going to have to see some guys step up and make plays maybe even see some two-way players and it, it, it's going to be a, a a slog and a marathon for both for every club involved especially here in the sec uh, for Auburn football to to make it happen here this fall, Davis, Auburn football. You know, uh, I think I think they touched on it pretty well in that point, and I think there is uh, that we should be worried a little bit for that. But I think I've, what, from what I've heard, Auburn's kept the players pretty locked down. So hopefully, we won't have too much cross exposure, too many players going out. But you never know when they get on the field; it could happen again. But I'm pretty excited for Auburn football to be back, and but. Why'd you have to throw? A I feel like, there? I just personally think 
if like if the player's safety's up to it, if it really starts breaking out, I would have no problem with the season getting canceled. Well, we'll we'll, we'll see. I don't know about y'all. Well, I, I damn. Jacob. Give me one more thing about the Big Ten. What? They're not actually playing eight games. They're playing eight games plus one. What so are they doing? in the ninth in the ninth week? Each division, first place is going to play first place, second place, second place, so on, so on. So, I don't know their divisions well enough. I mean, I believe, it's, like, Ohio State and Michigan are in the same division. Yes, but I'm wondering about that bottom matchup that I'm going to be so, so excited for. Pretty much, uh, I guess, oh, Northwestern and Nebraska. Nebraska versus <laughs> Rutgers. Oh, yes. I forgot about Rutgers. It'll, it'll be Rutgers versus probably Nebraska or Northwestern in week nine. Or Purdue. Purdue, possibly Purdue, because Brian Elmore's not there Wait, so what's the point of the plus one? Or why they're playing an extra game be- where they're top Because of the college football playoff. So they're not super far behind. If they play two less games than everyone else, there's going to be a lot of controversy. Whereas if this just one game, I think there will be less, you know. Okay, I'm going to say it. I really like that. I really like playing yeah. a comparable opponent. If the SEC had it that next season, I would not lose any sleep over that. I would It'd love be fun. to play. Yeah, to play to play the, your counterpart from the other from the other division that on a normal basis you get to play once every seven years. It, it's like the NFL. It's how the NFL makes the schedule interesting. Is that you get dynamic matchups based on how well your team performed based on the rest of the league and. It prevents any one team from from steamrolling across from year to year. So, I mean, if, if Bama had to link up with whoever won the SEC East every year, Georgia. I think it would, it, it would make for a much more interesting schedule than the kind of – I mean, right now we're, we're playing with a completely blindfolded under the SEC schedule every year, uh, on, on a normal year, that is, where, wherein it, it, it's, it's, what, it's who pulls Vanderbilt to get a free win. So, Last year, Auburn would have played Tennessee. And yeah. that, all right. I don't like the plan. Yeah, I was about to say, <laughs> in, in, in this plan, Auburn will probably get linked up with like Florida and Tennessee a lot. And I don't know, Listen, how, I, don't, Ar- I don't know if I can handle that. Arkansas Vanderbilt would be matchup of the century type. <laughs> uh, well, it's better than Arkansas playing the gauntlet they got to play this year because God rest that team; they're already done for. Yeah. Uh, but they'll still be blaming Chad Morris. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Where's Chad Morse at now? Wait, is he here? Wait, where's he at? He's the Auburn's offensive coordinator, Jerry. Look, (laughs) I'm telling you, quarantine's done something to the brain, okay? (laughs) I, uh, yeah. Well, on that note, I feel like we should end it before I embarrass myself any more than I've already have on this show. So, uh, thank you for listening and watching The Extra Point here on WEGL 91.1 FM. Uh, Jack, I hope you have a great day along with Davis and Jacob. It's always fun and uh we're gonna go wrap this up go do what we gotta do and we'll be back tomorrow with more at extra point here on wgl 91.1 fm